0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Eh, I've been better. Kind of feel like I've been gargling knives and lava, which isn't Ideal for being about to record a podcast. So we'll see how that goes. And I've coughed up the first four-sevenths of the rainbow, which I guess ideally is if you're gonna do four-sevenths of the rainbow, you want it to be the first one. I've gotten to Roy G, so that's not great. But honestly, I'd be really conserved if I was coughing up blue, indigo, and violet. So once you hit that biv, there's really no turning back. Other than that, I'm doing okay. Been working on trying to get my winter body right, which mostly just means eating a lot of pancakes, which which is good. You know how good pancakes are? They're so good that they're barely a cake, and yet they're the one that gets named pancake, despite the fact that pretty much every cake is made in a pan. At some point, I gotta believe somebody was like, shouldn't we call them frying pancakes? And everybody was just like, no, man, we don't have time. We're going to be eating a lot of these. They're good. Anyway, that's enough of this nonsense. Let's get into some different nonsense. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. The cops protested xenocon because they heard it tout lawless. Be more informed than them and listen to the synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Tales of the Teen Titans Annual Number 3 July 1984 The Judas Contract, Book 4 Finale Written by Marv Wolfman Drotted by George Perez Inked by Mike DiCarlo and Dick Giordano Colored by Adrian Roy Lettered by Ben Oda And edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez Teen Titan Roll Call Wonder Girl Starfire Beast Boy, Cyborg, Raven, Nightwing, Jericho, and Terra. Wait, no, not actually Terra. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans... In one of their earliest adventures, our titular teenagers ran afoul of a group named the Hierarchy for International Vengeance and Eliminations, or Hive, who, despite what their belabored acronym would imply, were not in fact an organization dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops of the world, but were rather a super villainous cartel that was into evil and crime and stuff. Hive hired Grant Wilson, an aspirational assassin who called himself the Ravager, to kill the Titans. Hive loaded Grant up with some experimental superpowers and pointed him at our heroes. Unfortunately for the Ravager, in addition to being terrible at coming up with a code name for their criminal coffee clatch, Hive was also just plain terrible. During the middle of his fight with the Titans, Grant's new powers overloaded and the wannabe hitman died. Bummer. Sort of. Out of a misplaced desire for revenge or something, Grant's dad Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, took up his son's contract and vowed to deliver the Titans to Hive headquarters, dead or alive. The monocular mercenary tried to kill our put-upon protagonists a couple of times, then went away for a while. About a year ago, the Titans met up with a brash young earth-bending orphan named Terra. Tara was abrasive, unpleasant, and refused to answer any questions about herself, despite constantly demanding that the Titans tell her their secret identities. Naturally, the Titans asked her to join the team and told her all of their secrets. Surprisingly, placing their trust in an obviously untrustworthy individual proved to be a mistake. For unbeknownst to her new teammates, Tara was secretly a double agent who was dishing the dirt on our do to her diabolical partner Deathstroke. Things came to a head a few days ago when Dick Grayson, formerly AKA Robin, but who had recently decided he didn't want to be KA that anymore, came home to his apartment and was attacked by the depth-perception-deficient death dealer Deathstroke. Dick managed to escape, but was dismayed to discover that none of his teammates had been as lucky. Some preliminary detectiving disclosed that Starfire, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, and Beast Boy had all been captured. When the alter egoless adolescent aerialist journeyed to the team's T shaped skyscraper to investigate whether Raven and Terra had also been kidnapped, the codename Free Crime Fighter was confused to be confronted by two strangers who seemed to know a surprising amount about Slade Wilson's sinister schemes. The elder of the interlopers introduced herself as Adeline and informed the stupefied sleuth that she and her son Joseph were there to help. After filling in a dumbfounded dick on Tara's duplicity, and the fact that Raven had also been taken captive, Adeline revealed that she is in fact Deathstroke's ex-wife, and Joseph is his son, who was rendered mute when one of his dad's enemies slit his throat when he was still a child. Adeline went in to fill dick in on Deathstroke's origin. He was basically the Vietnam-era equivalent of Captain America who turned to a life of crime after being discharged for disobeying orders, and then Adeline shot his eyeball out because she was upset about the whole getting their son's throat slit thing. She concluded her exposition dump by saying that she and Joe were there to help, and that they knew where the Titans were being held. Delighted, Dick scampered upstairs to put on a new spandex outfit with a deep V-neck and a high Dracula collar. Since deciding that the Robin persona had too much baggage and was always going to be inextricably tied to Batman, Dick decided that in his new identity, striking out as his own man, he would use the name Nightwing. The name that Superman used when he dressed up as Batman in the 60s. Interesting choice. When he went downstairs to debut his new duds, Dick was dismayed to see that Joseph was also sporting superheroic spandex. Sort of. The blonde mutton-chopped newcomer looked as though he would be equally at home fighting crime or playing the hammered dulcimer at a Ren fair. Adeline explained that Joe had secret mutant powers, would be joining Dick on his rescue mission, and wanted to go by the name Jericho for no apparent reason. The newly christened Nightwing was initially skeptical, but Jericho earned his trust by using his mind control powers to take over Dick's body, make him do a silly dance, and then punch himself in the face. Hooray! Having established a partnership based on trust, mutual respect, and why are you hitting yourself, the two young adventurers hopped into the Titan jet and flew off to rescue the rest of the Titans. Gad, Zooks! After continually trying to murder and kidnap a group of teenagers, will Deathstroke find new ways to demonstrate that he is a goddamn creep? As Nightwing, will Dick demonstrate the same tactical expertise he did as Robin? And what is Terra's mysterious motivation for betraying her teammates? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, oh, hell yes he does. Well, he wanders into an enemy base filled with thousands of adversaries with no real plan and is soon taken captive, so I'd say that's a yes. And we get a few different explanations before finally settling on, turns out she's just plain old evil. Deathstroke has just delivered the captured teen titans to Hive at the Spicy Poop Ranker's hidden fortress in the Colorado Rockies. The Hive dudes seem pretty stoked, although it's a little difficult to tell, seeing as they're all wearing their signature hooded purple robes. The robed reprobates have got the teens all trussed up in this weird-looking device called an enervator, which looks like if you kinda tried to build a furnace out of capsules and then jammed a bunch of teenagers into it. Which, don't do that. Deathstroke starts taunting the Trust up titans, taking time to note that it's a shame that Starfire is about to be murdered, because otherwise, he totally would have done it with her. Gross. Then Terra pops out and is like, Surprise, idiots! I betrayed you! Ha ha! The titans are all like, What? No way! I don't believe it! Well, that's what most of the titans are like. Raven is sleeping, and Cyborg just kind of goes, Oh... Yeah, that actually explains a lot. Good old cyborg. Beast Boy asks, How could you do this to me? I mean, us. Why? Terra explains that she hates that the Titans have adopted a subservient stance to the rest of humanity, and that she believes that those with superpowers like her should be ruling the planet. Ah, the old Silver Age Magneto argument. A classic. Well, that explains that. Meanwhile, in the snow-capped mountains outside Hive's secret base, Nightwing and Jericho are dressed up in the Arctic Adventure version of their new costumes. Dick is providing both sides of a conversation, voicing the concerns he believes his mute companion might have, and then replying to them. I'm pretty sure he would have done that whether Joe could talk or not. I think it's a relief to him to know that his self-narration won't be interrupted. They sneak up on a guard and Dick kicks him in the face and then uses one of his fancy new Nightwing gadgets to bust into the Hive headquarters and KO a couple of the guards. Meanwhile, Deathstroke decides that seeing as his job is done and the Titans have been delivered to Hive, he'd like to get paid. The Hive's, I don't know, bursar, I guess, points out that seeing as Dick is still at large, Slade hasn't really fulfilled his part of the deal yet. You know, I don't say this very often, but... That tightwad from the Society of Robed Turd Enthusiasts raises a pretty good point. Slade reluctantly agrees and places a FaceTime call to his butler-slash-old-army-buddy Wintergreen to ask if he's had any luck locating the errant aerialist. Wintergreen replies that he hasn't found Grayson yet, but he's sure to turn up soon. The British manservant seems a little squirrely as he delivers his report. Once he is hung up from whatever the 1984 equivalent of Skype is, we see that Wintergreen is being held at gunpoint by Adeline. Huh. That seems a little unnecessary. I mean, Wintergreen really hasn't located Nightwing yet, so I can't imagine his report would be all that different if he wasn't being threatened. Once he has been coerced into making this accurate status report to his employer, Adeline and Wintergreen sit down and have a civilized cocktail with each other like the old pals they apparently are. Addie asks the elder Englishman how he and Slade met. Wintergreen stares off into the middle distance, and reminisces. Flashback Back in the 50s, Slade and Wintergreen were serving as part of some sort of international task force in Egypt. An asshole general sent Wilson on a suicide mission, and Wintergreen disobeyed orders to save Slade's life. A few years later in Vietnam, the same general sent Wintergreen on a dangerous mission. The British commando was captured and awaiting execution by the Viet Cong. Things looked pretty grim, but then his old buddy Slade, who had recently acquired some superpowers when he volunteered for some medical experiments, disobeyed orders and sent himself on an unauthorized rescue mission. The AWOL future assassin stole a plane, dressed up in a kooky costume not too dissimilar to his current kooky costume, although it did have one more eyehole, and busted his buddy out of the prison he was being held in. When the pair returned stateside, Slade was discharged from the military. Wintergreen felt he owed Wilson, although by my count they're pretty much even on the whole life-saving scorecard, so naturally he decided to go full Mr. Belvedere on the situation and become Slade's butler. Is that where butlers come from? Back in the present of 1984, Jericho and Nightwing have snuck inside the base. Jericho uses his powers to take control of one of the Poop Rankers. This is extra impressive because the way his powers work is that he has to make eye contact with the individual before he can possess him, and in this instance, the possessee is like 30 feet away and wearing a hood that covers the top two-thirds of his face. Nice work, Jerry. Once he's in control of the guard, Jericho uses his body to sucker punch the other guard and then turns to Nightwing and says, Hey, Dick, now I can talk in this dude's body, only I have to use this guy's vocabulary and accent, you see? And there's all these apostrophes and stuff in places they don't normally go, so I figure this guy, whose name is Rudy, is either from space or drunk or something, you dig? Nightwing is like, um, okay, he's got a cool mustache, though. And indeed, Rudy did have a cool mustache. Dick dons the robe of Rudy's unconscious pal, and the two teens make their way to Hive Headquarters Amphitheater. Their timing could not be better. Hive is holding their big Let's Kill the Teen Titans pep rally, and the purple-robed poop-ranking principal is about to make his big speech. Only, you know how just a second ago I said Dick and Jerry's timing was great? Well, no it isn't, because right when they are smack dab in the middle of the assembly surrounded by a sea of purple robes, Jericho's control over Rudy starts to ebb. Whoopsie! Jerry starts making eye contact with a rapid assortment of hive guys, taking over their bodies and making them slug it out with each other until a regular old purple poop-ranking Donnybrook breaks out. Hooray! At one point during the scuffle, Jericho somehow manages to take over the body of a guard who is wearing a full face mask with a reflective visor. Damn! That kid is capable of making an amount of eye contact that would make me very uncomfortable. Which is to say, some. In the ensuing chaos, the two incognito heroes manage to escape into an empty corridor. Dick throws a gas grenade to hinder those pursuing them. The duo of do-gooders make their way down the hall, hoping they can hide out until they can launch another attempt at freeing the other titans. Suddenly, just as they are about to turn a corner, Dick is startled to hear a familiar voice say, Maybe you bozos think you're going somewhere? Okay, technically that isn't what she says, but it might as well be, because the point is, it's Terra. The duplicitous dirt distributor uses her earth powers to knock out the two surprise superheroes and then delivers them to a grateful Hive leader. The pleased purple grand poobah summons Deathstroke to his office. Wilson's all like, Look, get off my back, man. I told you, I'll catch Robin soon. Just give me some time. The Hive head honcho is like, Oh, that's cool, your pal just did it for us. Just then, Terra wheels a tied up Nightwing into the room. The other captured Titans look on with conflicted emotions. On the one hand, they're dismayed that Dick has been captured, but on the other hand, they're pretty stoked about his new clothes. It's a real emotional roller coaster. I get it. I'm not sure how to feel right now myself. Then Tara goes ahead and makes explicit what has only been heavily implied up until now. The fact that she and Slade Wilson have been involved in a sexual relationship that began at least a year ago, when she was only 15. Then I know exactly how to feel. Nauseous. Tara goes on to say, And look who else I found! This weird blonde dude with amazing mutton chops! Let's kill him too, okay? Deathstroke is like, Oh, fuck no. Let that mutton-chop kid go. You gotta let him go. The Hive dude is like, What? No way. We're going to kill him because he was standing near a Teen Titan when Terra found him. And that's how we poop rankers do things. All of a sudden, Terra exclaims, Oh, shit. This is your kid, isn't it? The one that you were always staring at a picture of? (laughs) Let's kill him. Deathstroke is like, Shut up. Everybody, shut up. Then, Jericho makes eye contact with his dad, and all hell breaks loose. The mutton-chopped Marvel takes over his dad's body, smacks Terra, and frees the imprisoned Titans. Hooray! Once free, the Titans start stomping the shit out of purple-robed hench people, like they were trying to make them into evil wine that was terrible at acronyms. Hooray! Despite his protest that he is not in control of his body, Terra is enraged by Deathstroke's attacks and starts pummeling the shit out of the complimentary color-clad creep. Hooray! She opens up a chasm under Deathstroke and is about to coat him in molten lava. The gross fuckwad pleads with his son to release control of his body so that he can more effectively combat his underage sex partner. Unfortunately, Jericho does as his dipshit father requests. Terra and Deathstroke resume their combat. As they fight, Destroke thinks to himself that the reason that Terra was so keen on betraying the Titans is that she's just plain old crazy, trademark. Oh good, another explanation. Well, since that teenage girl was suffering from mental illness, I guess that makes it okay that you had sex with her. Fucking creep. Beast Boy takes the fact that Terra is trying to kill Deathstroke as a sign that she isn't actually betraying the Titans after all, and that her apparent treason was in fact part of an elaborate ruse. Nope. Terra disabuses Gar of this notion by burying him in quicksand and throwing some boulders at him. Now the Titans are fighting Terra and Deathstroke, who are also fighting each other. During the confusing kerfuffle, the Titans try once again to get Terra to explain why she's trying to destroy them. She initially starts to give her Silver Age Magneto answer again, but then she pivots into she just hates the Titans and is looking forward to watching them die. Then Raven pops up and offers yet another alternate explanation. Terra's just evil. That's it. She's just evil. Raven follows up this revelation by using her magic to temporarily freeze the allegedly evil adolescent in place. Deathstroke uses that opportunity to amputate Cyborg's robo-hands and threatens to behead him if the Titans won't let him go. The three sides are at a momentary standoff, when Jericho picks up his father's discarded laser staff and uses it to shoot his douchebag dad in the back. Hooray! Unfortunately, Terra takes advantage of the distraction to free herself from Raven's spell and renew her attack on the Titans. She is about to kill her former teammates when Gar turns into a bug and pokes her in the eye. Huh. Interesting tactic. Getting poked in the eye sends the firmament flinger into a mindless rage, and she starts lashing out blindly with her earth-moving powers. She just starts screaming and raging and eviling just as hard as she can. And as she does so, the captions inform us that... Terra is evil and insane, and it's nobody's fault, she's just always been that way, and that's that. After a few panels of her mindlessly eviling just as hard as she can, she finally evils too hard, and is buried under an earthquake that she just caused, and is killed by her own powers. Oh. Hey, but wait a minute, plenty of people in this comic have, quote, died, unquote, and then come back later. I bet they just assume that she's dead, but they can't find the body, and then... Oh, what's that? They just found the body, and it's definitely totally dead? Oh. Jarko stares at his creepy-ass tied-up dad, who he has finally captured. He thinks about how back when he was a little kid, his dad didn't used to be so shitty, and how, even though his dad is a total piece of crap, he still loves him. And then he cries. A few days later, the Titans hold a funeral for Terra and invite her brother Bryon, a.k.a. Geoforce, and the rest of his team, the Outsiders. As is kind of tradition at funerals, they gloss over the fact that Terra was evil, and only say that she died in a battle with Deathstroke the Terminator they also diplomatically do not mention to Bryon that before her death, she specifically mentioned, apropos of nothing, that she wanted Bryon to die. That probably wouldn't have made for the best eulogy. On a nearby hillside, Adeline and her son Joseph slash Jericho watch the funeral from afar. Adeline opines that the Titans are pretty darn great and Jericho will be happy as a new member. And hey, if he isn't, he could always make them do a silly dance and then punch themselves in the face. The end. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother Corey. Corey, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. How are you? How are you doing? I am doing okay. I think we're both pretty tired. That's an accurate statement. Thank you. That aside. What'd you think about this uh, comic book, the finale of The Druidus Contract? Um, I thought it was pretty long. Mm-hmm. I, I think... think justifiably so. I don't think it really dragged at any point.
1: No, no, there was just a lot to go over. I mean, yeah. maybe a little bit more in the Wintergreen backstory than
0: really was needed, but hmm. he's a pretty badass guy. Yeah. I like Wintergreen okay. Well, and we had talked in the last issue about how it skipped over Wintergreen and Slade's backstory, and so it was kind of nice that it doubled back and we got a little bit more of that thing fleshed out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't feel like the
1: Terra story arc or her character was really... How do you put
0: this? Like, I just don't feel like it was very well handled at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's just get right into that. Let's talk about Terra thoughts, because I've got a lot of them that this brought up. Okay. Terra. Right out the gate, it is very, very disturbing that it is confirmed what had been hinted at previously that I think we had both picked up on. But I certainly was hoping that I had picked up on it wrong, or that there were aspects of it that were mitigated in some way. But no. Deathstroke has been sleeping with Terra. And she is definitely a teenager. And this sexual affair started when she was at most 15. Yep. Fucking gross. Yep. Fucking gross. And I feel like we're supposed to like Deathstroke in this story. I think we're supposed to feel slightly more sympathetic towards him. And I can't. I know. It, You're it's, supposed
1: to be like, oh, poor guy, his estranged son, whose voice accidentally got lost because he wouldn't stop him from getting cut in the throat with a knife, took over his body, and now he's sad, and then he had to have gross relationships.
0: Yeah. it's Yeah, There's it doesn't do it. it. It's, I think at the very least, even if we're, we're not supposed to see Deathstroke as a hero, but we are supposed to see him as kind of like a cool villain at the least, or maybe an anti-hero. At the very least, we are supposed to, I think, think that he's a cool guy. And I don't. I think he's a fucking gross creep. And that's really doubled down on in the opening pages when he hits on Starfire, who is tied up, and says basically, you're pretty cute. It's a shame that you're about to be murdered, because otherwise I would have had sex with you. I don't think they've ever had a conversation. It's fucking gross and creepy. And I, I, I just, I don't like it, and I don't like how it's handled. Back to Terra, they went a number of different directions with her character to an extent within this issue, but also they had started to go different directions with the character in the last year or so of this story arc that they just kind of doubled back and erased. I think they had been planning on making her a more complicated character than this, or at least were leaving the option to have her go a different way with this, and then... At the end, it's just like, no, never mind all of that shit. She's just evil. Or not even evil. She's just crazy. And that's that. That's like Raven's stance towards her, too. Raven senses her her feelings and is like, she doesn't feel emotions in the same way that we do. She doesn't truly feel love or hate. But then the rest of the caption work is telling us that all she feels is hate. And it is also painting mental illness as this, like, intreatable, incurable, defining characteristic that, well, that's just who she is. She's a crazy person, so let's just write her off. She's done. Mm -hmm. It's really shitty. It is. And the fact that we've got this whole
1: story arc that kind of seemed like it was going somewhere, and, you know, you're holding out hope a little bit, like, oh, maybe she'll have a change of heart and the titan's love will Mm kind of turn her around and she'll be like, oh, I just never had teammates or family or whatever before. And then she really gets,
0: like, one page of exposition that says, nope, she's crazy. She's crazy and she's evil. Yeah. It it makes a half-hearted attempt to have her give some, like, Magneto arguments, almost, in that, like, no, we have superpowers, so we should be running everything, and I hate the Titans because they are not recognizing that, and they're pandering to these humans that should be beneath them. And that, there's no backstory established for her feeling that way about things and also within the DC universe there isn't really the same like political backdrop of superpowers versus non-superpowered people that establishes Magneto in that way it was just like this like well throw this in too it also says that she never loved or cared about any of her brothers and that is not the way it was depicted in earlier issues when there was a crossover with the outsiders and we saw her brother Brian Mm mm-hmm The things that I do kind of like about it. I like that she's not portrayed as being a victim in this. I mean, that's kind of nice. It's nice that she has agency and she is like, No, I did this because I'm evil and I wanted to do it and that's why. It's not because I'm damaged or misunderstood. Like, there's that aspect of it. But it just doesn't feel earned. Mm -hmm. And I, I was frustrated by that. Honestly, as we're talking about it more and we're talking through it, I'm less conflicted about it than I was because overall I did like this storyline, but the Terra aspects of it, especially at the end, it felt like a walk back of previously established things that would have made this a more interesting story and it just didn't do it. The other thing that I found kind of shitty about the fact that she just used her powers too hard and then died from it, I guess, because she was mad. Mm -hmm. I guess mad in both senses of the word. It's something that has been used as a trope with very powerful female characters in the past. We saw that with both the Dark Phoenix and, to an extent, with Raven. That, oh, women are too emotional. They can't handle it if they have superpowers. They need to be protected from themselves. And we kind of see that rearing its head in this with Terra as well. So, not great. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that is talked about in this which I think was kind of interesting, is that when she is in the process of burning out her powers and eventually being enveloped and dying by using them too hard, Wolfman does this thing with the captioning where he talks about all the ways she could have improved life on the planet with her powers and how powerful she was and what she could have done to help better mankind. Hers was the power over the earth itself. She could have brought life to deserts, heat to the frozen tundra, food to starving millions. She could have dammed raging rivers and funneled water to lands parched dry and dead. Her powers were limited only by the mind which controlled them. A hand which sought not hope, not love, not life, but death. And she found death, but not her enemies. Wah wah. That's some okay prose. I like how it's written, but it does drive home the fact that None of the superheroes in the DC universe use their powers that way. And it really makes the superheroes seem kind of callow and immature and a silly thing for them to be doing. It kind of drives home that point that, yeah, none of them are doing that. They're out there fucking foiling bank robbers when they could be feeding starving millions. None of the other titans on the team were like, hey, Tara, you've got these amazing powers. Why don't we go help out with some famine relief shit? She's like, well, maybe. Mebby. But. Incidentally, the Mebby count in this issue, considering that was an annual, pretty low. Hmm. Only it's a three Mebby issue. I maybe would have liked, I'm sorry, I, Mebby, would have liked to have seen a few more, especially seeing as we're presumably not going to see a ton of Terra from now on. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she was the main Mebby person. Somebody else is going to have to pick up the Mebby slack. Cyborg's going to have to get back to it. Uh-huh. Or maybe Jericho can take over somebody's mind who uses more mebbies. Maybe so. Maybe so. Sorry. Maybe so.
1: There we go. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like, assuming that the story arc throughout the the Judas contract is, is conceived of at the beginning and plotted, that something changed? Like, people ran out of time? Or just when it was initially being conceived, this ending seemed like a, a nice way to put a bow on it and...
0: I don't know. I don't. I think perhaps from the beginning of the Judas contract, like three issues ago, this ending was conceived of. It definitely doesn't seem like that was necessarily the case when the character of Tara was first introduced as a traitor. I think at that point, I don't know if it was just leaving more options open, but her ending character is inconsistent with her previously established character as being in any way conflicted about what she was doing, which it had, I feel, established that textually. And now there's an erasure of that. If nothing else, there is definitely the fact that she wanted to make sure that her brother was kept out of this because that could complicate things. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to make sure that he wasn't hurt. And there did seem to be genuine love displayed for her brother, if not for her teammates. And I don't think I'm reading into it. I, I mean, maybe... I'm sorry, Maybe she was a better spy than we were giving her credit for, but it did seem as though she was genuinely moved by the Titans' friendship at times. And yeah, in the finale here, it's not just saying that in the end she chose the side of evil over the side of good, which I think could have been interestingly told. Mm -hmm. Like, Just because she did decide to try to kill them and she went with corruption over good doesn't mean that there wasn't a temptation for her to change. Like, you could have had both, but I think it would have been harder to do. So they didn't. It was strange, too, to see, I guess because
1: her character has been in this role of of spy or, you know, kind of double agent for so long, her express was just this real like sort of naked hatred for um beast boy and everybody else yeah and i don't know i thought on one hand that would be actually satisfying for me because he's such a yeah creep so much of the time
0: but i actually felt kind of bad for him i did and i didn't i did find it satisfying when she first told him that no that kiss actually did not mean anything to me and it was gross and i hated doing it and i think you suck I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. What made me start to feel a little bit of sympathy with Beast Boy was his continued inability to believe that. Not just that he wouldn't believe that their romantic relationship, as you know, fledgling as it was, was real, but the fact that he really would not give up on the idea that she cared about the team mm-hmm. and that they considered themselves family. And I thought that was kind of touching. And I think it was wise to make him focus on that rather than to have him just be like, but you loved me, honest, you did. Which would seem more in character with him, frankly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that was where the little bit of sympathy towards Beast Boy came in. And when he turns into that
1: elephant and like he gets under her and turns into an elephant and is like, we're back to, you know, team's back together, let's get out of here. He looks so joyous
0: as an elephant. Yeah, when she's fighting Deathstroke and he's like, yeah. I think that's one of the tricks that they pull with Beast Boy, is it's hard to be mad at an elephant. Mm, that's true. That's a good trick. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll come up with the rest of our discussion, but was was there any other Terra thoughts that you had about this? I feel like I'm still kind of processing
1: the whole thing, but I just, at the end of the day, I, I don't like the short, um, she-was-crazy explanation.
0: Yeah, it's, if n- nothing else, even removing the ways in which that is a relief. Really flippant and dismissive treatment of the idea of mental illness. It's just narratively unsatisfying. Yeah. All this lead up and then,
1: ah, I'm crazy. I died under a pile of my own rocks.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a shame. Overall, I think I still did really like the Judas contract, but that aspect of the finale let me down. Yeah, I agree. I, I will say too, though, that death Especially of a main
1: character being handled in such an explicit manner was pretty striking. Yeah, the the funeral scene and everything—I felt myself like having, you know, an emotional response to these characters that we've been reading.
0: Yeah, and that—I mean—that they found her body, Mm -hmm. like they did not leave themselves the easy out that they did when, say, Blackfire—I'm sorry, Princess Mm -hmm.
1: Commander—died.
0: Where it's like, well, we couldn't find her body. And that would be the easy and more traditional thing to do in a situation like this. But it was no. Very soon after that, they found her body and then they buried her. And then they pulled a very Teen titans move and decided that they knew best and did not tell her brother the truth about what happened. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I would have done any different. That's got to be a hell of a conversation to have. But it is very Teen Titans-y.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, it's you want to tell the truth, but the guy's grieving the loss at yeah. the funeral and everything. And just, just like, <laughs> dropping that bomb right then. Like, maybe just wait <laughs> like yeah. a few months yeah. later. Like, hey, GeoForce, I know we haven't spoken for a while. Um, Nice to see you at the funeral. Right.
0: But one thing I forgot, I didn't mention. Your sister! You, you remember your, your sister and how she, you know, she died and, and all? You 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 know your 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 dead sister. Well, here's the thing, Brian. She was evil. Like real evil. Like super duper evil. Yeah, even Raven said so. And that's saying something.
1: <laughs> so where's the Hive headquarters? Colorado?
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense because it was Grand Canyon adjacent. Because mm. uh, they had done some shit over there before. Mm-hmm. Man. Those spicy poop rankers, I I understand you got the cool purple robes. You can probably get a bulk discount when you buy that many of them. But having your uniform make you look completely anonymous when you're wearing it definitely does make you more open to infiltration. Mm -hmm. I would bet that happens kind of a lot. Like, you know, you got a robe that covers up your entire face, except maybe your cool mustache if you're Rudy. You know, that could be anybody under there you think they would even have rules against um, facial hair or piercings or anything? Distinguishable? Right. It does seem like if you're Rudy? going for the anonymity, then you should have a no facial hair rule. Rudy, go back to the barracks and shave that off at once. <laughs> yeah, like maybe George Steinbrenner's Steinbrenner is one of the spicy poop rankers. He's like, no sideburns. Maybe so. Then again,
1: they tried that at a restaurant I worked at and just nobody listened. They're <laughs> like... Oh, well,
0: this is in the '90s, so they're like, "Go shave those soul patches off!" Everybody was <laughs> like,
1: "Nope,
0: no way." Me and this thing, it's us against the world, man. Me and my soul patch. Yep. Nobody listened. Ah, uh, that's kind of too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Rudy, what accent do you think Rudy was supposed to have? Because I could not figure it out. Um, I, like Brooklyn? I wasn't sure if it was just like. California stoner maybe because there's like a ramblingness to it the the thing that I ended up landing on was just oh I think Rudy's drunk because when Jericho takes over Rudy's body I guess he also takes over his mind so he can speak but he'll be using that person's vocabulary and speech patterns which is a confusing concept but what makes it more confusing is I can't tell where the fuck Rudy is supposed to be from or what kind of shit he's supposed to be saying. Just give him a a read-through and see. So this is after Jericho takes over his mind. Hey, Nighthawk, I'm all right, really all right. (laughs) Huh? What's going on, Jericho? Yeah, yeah, it's me. Oh, I see my voice, eh? Okay, listen, when I take over a clown who's been really conked, I can really talk but in their voice, with their words. That's because I'm, like, living in their mind, got it? So no matter what I sound like, just look for my J sign. You'll know it's me, Okay? We'll talk about this later. Where to now? <laughs> Follow me. I got Rudy's last thoughts just before I took him over, Okay? Something's going on about the Titans. <laughs> I think he's drunk. He's gotta I can't drunk. figure out a way to read this where he doesn't sound drunk. I like his J sign, too. Yeah, it's him holding up his pinky. I, mm. I don't know ASL. I think that might actually be American Sign Language you for make J. A, you make a J shape with it. Ah, I think that's, that's probably yeah. what he's doing. But if you take that out of context, he really does look drunk. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Rudy is drunk on the job on a regular basis. Hive has a very bad vetting process for their minions. Oh, they'll just let anybody. It kind of seems like they got a lot of robes to fill. Uh, The opening page where we see, like, Hive's circus where they're going to show the Titans dying. Look at all those fucking hooded robes. That is so many Hive members. Mm -hmm. They've got just this, like, amphitheater that is, like, wall-to-wall with little hooded robe heads. And that is one thing that's kind of nice about the Hive uniform. It makes drawing crowd scenes super easy-looking. Mm-hmm. Bunch of dots. What did you think of Jericho? I
1: liked him better... This time than, mm-hmm. than previously. I'm still freaked out by... Every time he has to take over somebody, he has to do this lock eyes thing. And then he gets those crazy lemur
0: eyes. And it says, contact! Every time it says that, I, I sing the beginning of the 3 two, one, contact in my head.
1: Yeah.
0: 3-2-1 yeah. Contact, contact! Is the reason, is the answer, yeah. why everything happens. The thing about that, though, is... He's making eye contact with a lot of people that are in hooded robes or, like, mirrored visors. H- how? You just look until you feel something, probably, if you can't see their eyes. Oh. Do you it- think the eye contact thing is, like, psychosomatic? Or, like, I? I mean, you can't make eye contact with somebody who has mirrored sunglasses on, but he does that. I think it's, like... They have to look at you, and you can just be,
1: like, staring. And if they happen to look so at you... So it's if
0: they see your eyes, not you seeing
1: their eyes. That doesn't really make sense, but it's all I can think of, because otherwise, how's it work?
0: I, I don't know. It's very confusing to me.
1: Not weird when you when you just look up and somebody's totally staring at you? And you're like, why did I just choose to look up when this person was staring at me? So there must be... Does this happen to you often? Yeah, sometimes. That's never happened to you? Not that I can remember. Like on the bus or walking around or whatever? You're, you just look up and
0: it's just like, oh. No, I just don't make eye contact with anyone ever. Oh, that's sometimes that's a good policy. It's, it's the only one I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I speculated before about them going overboard to make Jericho a kind of a Mary Sue character, a perfect in every way to compensate for the fact that he has an intrinsically creepy power. And some listeners clued me into another potential reason why this was done. And it was that apparently, initially, Wolfman and Perez had planned on making Jericho openly gay as a character. And so in a, like, respectability politics type thing, what was generally the stance if you were going to include any kind of a minority character in a mainstream book you would make them flawless, and you would kind of have to do that, which would have the effect of making them generally less interesting characters. But that was kind of the policy with a lot of early groundbreaking characters in that way. And it's interesting that he did that, that he chose the name Jericho, because that was also the name he chose when he was going to introduce the first black character that he also scrapped the plans for. And we talked about him just having a few names in his hat, but Mm -hmm. it is weird that the name that he chose is Jericho and that he ended up not doing that with either character once because of DC interference. And in this, there's kind of a cop-out answer that I, or an answer that I read as kind of a cop-out of why they decided to not go through with making him explicitly gay. And what they said was, well, we were worried that it would come across as stereotypical because we made him uh, be very sensitive. And we didn't want it to read as a stereotype. Okay, but you're the writer. Mm-hmm. You're the creators of this. You could have just... Did you not trust yourself to, to handle it that way? Or make different decisions with it? It... it I don't know. It bugged me. It, mm-hmm. it, it bugged me as an answer. I also was thinking about the name Jericho. And it's like, oh, because he broke down barriers. Mm-hmm. I think that must yeah. be the idea behind the name. But then that neither character ended up, they never ended up doing that with either character is, I mean, both sad and kind of interesting. Hmm. I did
1: not know that. That is, that is curious.
0: Yeah, and I think it is a reference to the, the Battle of Jericho, because honestly, other than that, it doesn't make that much sense as a superhero code name. Mm-hmm. And it never made sense to me as a name. And in this context, it does make a little bit of sense, but I still don't like it that much despite the fact that I do like the wrestler, Jericho. I was going to ask you about your thoughts on that matter. I think he's very funny and very good at wrestles. He does
1: wrestle real good. Yeah,
0: he's number one in wrestles. Jericho. Jericho. The other thing about Jericho in this issue, his powers did not work in the way that I thought that they worked. I didn't realize until this issue that he disappears and kind of turns into a ghost when he makes eye contact with somebody and his corporeal form just kind of vanishes. I had always assumed that he just kind of sat there as an automaton, which would definitely be a liability in battle. But this other method of him kind of ceasing to exist while he's taking over somebody's body, while it's more useful, it makes a lot less sense to me. How did you thought that his powers worked before this? No, the same. I
1: thought he was just like kind of just like sat there inanimate while his body was off. just like took a nap. Like it's astral projection or something. Right. I think it's... Also, though, disadvantageous unless you have, I don't know, a place to hide or something because the guards notice right away. They're like, hey, where'd it he go?
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. But, I mean, still better than just sitting there all you sleepy. Know, sleepy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like battlefield naps are probably not a great idea. People are going to come over and start drawing dicks on your face. Drawing dicks on your face.
1: On your face. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was trying to think of a better way to. Say it, but that's just what they yeah, do. Yeah, that's just what they would do. I'm sorry,
0: especially <laughs> these hive assholes. Yeah, fucking you're a spicy Rudy. poop ranker. Ru- oh, god, I got a sharpie right here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna draw your face. You guys, you guys, you guys, watch this. It's okay. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Maybe that's why they all wear hooded robes. Because (laughs) Rudy's... Because there's... (laughs) God damn it, Rudy again! Well, I bet it's happened to Rudy a fair amount of times, too, because he's definitely a fall-asleep-at-work guy. Oh, yeah. Fucking Rudy. I think he's my favorite Hive agent. Out of all the ones that we can recognize. (laughs) Definitely. I'm a Rudy guy. There was kind of a fun thing with the Nighthawk with the Nightwing (laughs) and Jericho kind of buddying up story where you see Nightwing kind of going with a constant string of self-narration and him kind of like imposing his own idea of what Jericho's narrative is onto Jericho and creating this character for Jericho that made me think like, oh, Nightwing loves this. Nightwing loves having a silent guy that he gets to decide what the guy is thinking and just kind of impose his own character on him. And it's very telling that he is immediately just like, no, this guy's great. Mm -hmm. I think mostly just because he isn't talking. Mm -hmm. And there are some kind of funny scenes with that where he starts to say, shh, oh, sorry, forgot who I was talking to. There is also a scene early on where Nightwing thinks to himself, this could just be a trap. But nah, I'm going to go along with it. Classic Nightwing. Typical. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I guess this is his second outing as Nightwing, so it's a little early to say classic Nightwing. Well, It does bring up the idea, do you think within the DC universe, so we know that they don't know Dick Grayson's secret identity as Robin. Do they know that Robin and Nightwing are the same person? Or from their perspective, is it's just like, oh, looks like Robin quit the team, and then there's this new guy that's named Nightwing. The other Titans? No, the rest of the oh, the DC? the rest of the superheroes, or like the news reporters, or People Magazine, or shit like that. Jesus, are they all as bad at seeing disguises? I think the whole universe is face blind, hmm, hmm. or then, they're humouring yeah. them.
1: They're just like it's a guy with the same hair and the same. Everything same else. Voice, same voice. Same everything. Same everything. But clothes.
0: Yeah, he's got different clothes on. He's got a bigger mask. wonder what, what happened to Robin. Huh. Weird. I guess he just disappeared. Maybe he's on vacation. He's probably. Maybe they also just don't have object permanence. And so they just forgot that he existed. It's like a bunch of babies. Yeah, they're just a bunch of babies. It's a baby universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe, maybe. Or I
0: thought there was a guy named Robin or something, but I guess he left. Oh well, there's a new guy, he's blue. Well, isn't there
1: a there's a scene in here where somebody calls him Dick and then there's talk about giving away uh, identities, isn't there?
0: Oh yeah. Starfire just calls him Dick in front of everybody. The Dick! Is that really you? Yes, and Terra says Balloon Bod just blew your secret ID, pal. Not that you'll need it where you're going. Tara, why? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> We've told the it's good story. We have. Do yeah. we tell the why not story or
1: So in terms of explanations for why or why not something might have been done is <laughs> usually one that, you know, falls into the camp of I guess, yeah, it makes sense, harmless and then one that, you know, things could have gone better. So the it's good, you know, drinking gravy because it's a good thing. Uh-huh. Falls into the the former. And uh there's one that falls into the to the latter category, which is that Towards the end of my grandpa Bob's dementia, my cousin was was his caretaker, heard some noises, help, help, (laughs) coming from upstairs, and so he ran up to check on what was going on, and it turned out that my grandpa had found a a pill shaver, which is like a a battery-operated thing designed to gather the lint from sweaters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. by means of a little metal disc that rotates and picks up the, uh, the pieces ooh, of lint, which he had confused with a um, an electric shaver and thought that it would be a good idea to do some manscaping downstairs <laughs> oh! with this. And my poor cousin comes up to the scene <laughs> and finds it. <laughs> anyway, got it all cleaned up. Some band-aids were involved and just... Bad scene, and that's the end, he's, Grandpa, why did you do this? And he looks him right in the eye and says, "Why not?" <laughs> so there you go.
0: Oh. That's the story behind why not. Yeah. So I think it's safe to say that a uh, a pleasant surprise is a it's, it's good. good. <laughs> like say you drank some gravy and found out. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. But conversely, a why not? is uh, maybe when you use a sweater depiller pillar on your balls. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, but yeah, that's why it maybe cracked me up a little bit more than it should have when uh, Tara's answer to why she had betrayed the Titans was, why not? Yeah. Because it did prove to be her undoing. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Nightwing's secret identity... Everybody in the room has already heard him be called Dick. Mm-hmm. And they know that his name's Dick. Maybe they don't know that his name's Dick. Maybe all of the Hive guys are just like, oh, the other Titans don't like this guy very much. Yeah, <laughs> They keep calling him a dick. Yeah, Because when Donna goes to address him later, in front of the group that already knows his secret identity, she starts to address him and she's like, um, uh... And he says, call me Nightwing. Where's Gar? So, yeah, I liked that moment. I liked that that hesitation of like, oh, uh, right, what are we supposed to call you now?
1: Yeah, so I'm forgetting when he did his costume reveal and then was upstaged by Jericho. Uh Uh-huh. Just him and Adeline were hanging out. Just him and Adeline. Okay, okay. That makes
0: sense. Yeah, so none of the other Titans knew that he was Nightwing until that moment when he just casually mentions it to Donna. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm Nightwing now. Oh, Okay. But they all did instantly recognize him, despite the fact that he was in costume. So everybody bought the Teen Titans are babies. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I don't know. I guess I keep coming back to the rest of the universe is just humoring superheroes about their secret identities. Mm-hmm. They must be. Speaking of costumes, it must have been kind of shitty for Jericho and Nightwing to have just gotten their fancy new superhero costumes, both of them. And then on their very first adventure, they have to cover them up. Mm -hmm. Because at the very beginning, they're attempting to infiltrate Hive's secret ski lodge. Yep. And Jericho has a big old parka over his costume. And Nightwing has a ski mask on, but is still wearing his tunic that is like cut down to his navel. He's still showing a lot of bare chest, despite the fact that he has a bunch of other, like, cold weather gear on over it. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of, like, trick-or-treating when you were a kid in New Hampshire. And, like, you'd have a cool Halloween costume, but it's October 31st in New Hampshire. Cold. And so you would have to put, a like, a winter coat on over your, like, Zorro costume or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you remember having to do that? Mm-hmm so frustrating mm-hmm. i never wanted to do it but also it was really fucking cold yep. and so you would knock on people's doors and they'd be like oh and you are i'm like obviously i am porthos of the three musketeers because that was what i went as one year <laughs> nobody knew what i was <laughs> i have this really
1: distinct memory of being a little kid and i dressed up as a ninja I uh-huh. had actually sent away for like the ninja suit from the martial arts magazine Ooh. it was pretty badass yeah and this other kid shows up on the same porch, and his folks had outfitted him in, like, some jeans and, like, a heavy sweater and uh, a hat, like a longshoreman's, like a, uh-huh. you know, a beanie, and then put, like, dark makeup on his face. And this kid says to me, are you a ninja? Because that's what I am. Oh. You
0: were, were you just like, no, you're not. No, I thought was cool. I was super nice. I that was, was just, very I was just you. like, oh, yeah, <laughs> okay, huh, Yep. Two two ninjas. Us. Has two ninjas. Ring the doorbell. But maybe that's what
1: happened to that kid. His parents are like, oh shit, it's Halloween. Just put some warm clothes on him and I've got this grease
0: paint for some reason. We'll put that on his face. Ninjas were popular. Ninjas were very popular. Have ninjas stopped being popular? I think so. Have millennials killed the ninja industry? Oh, no, I I think it...
1: (laughs) What did Rutger Hauer and Blade Runner say? Like, the flame that burns twice as bright, burns half as long, Uh, or something? yeah, yeah. You can only make so many Shokasugi movies before (laughs) people have had enough, I guess. Yeah, but they made a lot of (laughs) Shokasugi movies. Yeah, at least four in the Ninja series, I think. Oh, boy. They just kept getting worse, if you can imagine.
0: I'm going to blame it on millennials.
1: Oh, that's harsh.
0: Sorry. We talked a little bit about the Wintergreen flashbacks, and there was a flashback within a flashback in the Wintergreen story, where he started telling one story, and then Adeline's like, oh, that's right, how did you guys meet? And then he stops and tells that story, and then goes back to his initial story. That was kind of confusing. My my only takeaway from that was, man, that dude is super buff for an old dude, and he was Old, like, he's he been has old not forever. changed at all. Yeah. Do you think maybe he's, like, a vampire or something? Because he looked exactly the same, and the same being old, in, like, the 50s, apparently. Like, during the Korean War, he looked exactly the same as he did in 1984.
1: Yeah, like, the white hair and gray hair, I can understand, because that sure. happens early. But he also had a big, like, bushy white mustache. Yeah, that was waxed at the ends. Yeah, you don't get that.
0: You don't get that until a you're a person. No, young people don't have that. Nope. <laughs> It's impossible. Yeah. but in this, The mustache wax just wouldn't take until you were a certain age on a white mustache. This is a scientific it's fact. It's a little known. Uh,
1: I guess there's not a word for like the science of, not science, the art of facial hair upkeep. I bet there is. Barbering? Yup. No, that's like <laughs>
0: surgery. Old school surgery. Well, and also hair cutting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That works. Yeah, Your story checks out. Yeah. What um, are we
1: talking about?
0: Oh, uh, Wintergreen, flashback within a flashback, the fact that he hasn't aged in 30 years probably because he's a vampire. Oh, yeah. Buff dude, old, good barbering. Yeah. I like his relationship with Adeline. I thought that was kind of nice. That, I mean, while well, she's holding a gun on him and making him place a call to Deathstroke and say, like, nope, no Robin here. I mean, it seems like that's what he would have said if she hadn't been holding a gun on him anyway. Because there was no Robin. Because there was no Robin. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what I liked about it is that as soon as he had made that call, then he was just like, well, I guess I'll make us some martinis. (laughs) And then they just sat down, had a couple of drinks and reminisced about old times. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a nice kind of classy move. I enjoyed that. What is very odd to me is we find out that their backstory is basically first Wintergreen saved Deathstroke's life. And then later Deathstroke did the Iron Eagle story that we referenced earlier, Mm -hmm. where When Wintergreen was captive in Vietnam, he stole a plane, flew there, and launched a one-man rescue mission of him. And then after that, he was just like, And now you're my butler! That seems like a weird turn for that relationship to take. From them to go to comrades-in-arms and best friends forever, to, Now you will fix me drinks, follow my orders, and... Press my suits. And and walk around with a box of pants for me to put on after I'm done screwing around with a 15-year-old. Uh, Yeah, well, that's who Deathstroke is.
1: Yeah, but I want to like Wintergreen, and if Wintergreen's (sighs) doing that with a box of pants,
0: then I can't like him either. That's what he did. I know. He shouldn't have put up with that. He shouldn't have put up with any of this. If Deathstroke wants to go and murder a group of super teens, that's fine. But that shit with Terra is not cool. And Deathstroke, I, I mean, Wintergreen should have just drawn the goddamn line there and be like, no, you find somebody else to walk around with a box of pants for you.
1: Yeah, I'm done here, mister.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go and talk about the Creatures of the w- Night and what beautiful music they make. Because he's a vampire, remember?
1: Oh, Creatures of the Night make beautiful music? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a vampire thing. Oh. They're always saying that. Oh.
1: Yeah. Like, playing, like, like what kind of beautiful music?
0: Oh, um, strangely, a lot of accordions. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Like Zydeco? That's, uh, mostly polka.
1: <laughs> it's not <a>
0: beautiful, um. <laughs> you know what? Take it up with Dracula. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, thanks, Dracula. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot, Dracula. Not my count. (laughs) Hashtag not my vampire. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, sir. Stupid Dracula. There's a couple of just little things I want to talk about real quick. At one point early on, Nightwing throws some kind of a grappling hook cable type thing and talks about how it's solid promethium and the cable is Prometheum too. Hmm. Hadn't we previously established that Prometheum wasn't a real thing that didn't exist? That sounds about right. Like, wasn't that kind of the whole point of the last Deathstroke story that we had? The one where they kidnapped him and took him to the Grand Canyon? Was he said he had Prometheum and used it to make a bomb, but then it turned out that Prometheum didn't exist? Oh man, I can't remember. Well, that's okay. Neither can Marv Wolfman, apparently.
1: Or it's just something else and nobody told Robin. Mm. And he doesn't know.
0: Oh, that could be. I mean, Nightwing. Yeah. Maybe that's all it is. Or maybe since that issue, then Prometheum has been developed. Either way, it would seem like if the spicy Poop Rankers were willing to pay all of that money to Deathstroke to get them the Prometheum in the first place, it would at the very least be prohibitively expensive. So it seems that Nightwing is really pulling a Nighthawk here in buying like the adamantium chair for the Hulk, mm-hmm. just like coating all of shit with promethium. Not necessary. Not necessary. Pretty sweet grappling hook thing though. Yeah, it's not bad. I like that it's got a, like a diamond-shaped mm-hmm. top. Yeah, it looks like a plumb bob. Yeah, doesn't seem like it would be as good at sticking into things as a uh, as a regular-shaped grappling hook. But uh, I guess maybe that's where the promethium comes in. Yeah, it's like a it does. It's, it's like really, you... it's really sticky. That's a it's, a stick, it's a sticky it's the metal. the stickiest we got. Yep, stickiest metal in the world. Ah. The, the one other little note that I had was about Beast Boy. There's a scene when the Titans are first freed. So they've just been freed from captivity after Terra had her little moment of saying, like, you stupid idiots. But it's right after the Titans are freed, and the Titans are mad, and they're starting to beat everybody up. Beast Boy is a hawk. And he turns to Wonder Girl and says, Wundy? And she says, no problems here, Changeling. And he's like, I mean, if you did need help, I could always lend a paw. And then he turns into a tiger and drops on a dude. And it's kind of a nice scene. And I like the idea of like that it shows that he lets gravity do a lot of the work for him. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking probably the reason he is checking with Wonder Girl and being like, you okay, Wonder Girl, you're not possessed or anything. Because I'm about to turn into a cat. And I don't want to get strangled.
1: <laughs> oh, good point. That didn't even occur to me.
0: It does kind of seem like that might be a callback to that. <laughs> mm. Well, I think anytime he changes into a cat, he probably is first like, Wonder Girl, you're not uh, possessed by a demon or hypnotized or being devolved or anything. Because uh, you do kind of strangle a lot of cats when you're those things. Mm-hmm. Nope, I'm good. Okay, good. I'm a tiger.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Now he tigers it up real good. Are you ready to get into the minutiae? I believe so. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia, Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. What do you feel like hitting up first? Let's talk about sound effects. Okay. What was your favorite sound effect? I had
1: a few. There was actually some, some good
0: ones in here. There were some pretty good ones. I've got a couple of them written down. Why don't you start us off? I liked the Prometheum grappling hook noise that when it
1: shoots off of Robin's wrist, it makes the noise thwip. Thwip is fun. Very uh, evocative.
0: Mm -hmm. Very uh, of a certain web slinger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I mean, Spider-Man. Oh, that web slinger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I know know you were probably thinking of like the internet. It's like how it slings the world wide web around our computers. Uh Uh-huh. Like a certain friendly neighborhood web slinger. Netscape. <laughs> what sound effects did you like? <laughs> On page 18, there's a pretty good explosion noise that I don't think we've seen quite in that way before. And it struck me as almost a portmanteau of more common sound effects that we get in this issue. But when uh, Nightwing throws his Nightwing bomb, it goes, Scrub-Blammo! I had Scrub-Blammo also. I enjoyed that. I think my favorite, though, is... A scene on page 34 that I like to call A Farewell to Arms. And it is the noise, SCACK! And that is the noise it makes when Deathstroke cuts off both of Cyborg's hands. Dang. SCACK! It's really visceral and kind of disturbing. Mm-hmm. I know they're cybernetic limbs, but it is still some hands come and clean off. Like, this was the story of Ricky O. Yeah, yeah, that looks rough. Did you have any others? I did. I had one
1: that, in its simplicity, might be my favorite. And mm. also because it sounded in my head like a gong sound. And it's on page seven. And it's when um one of the henchmen that, that Nightwing knocks out gets thrown into a giant metal door. And it makes a sound, kong! Yeah, it's pretty good. I like that. Also, probably a bad way to sneak into a place.
0: Yeah, one would think. It's a very showy version of subterfuge that Nightwing uses. Mm -hmm. Which I think is in keeping with his character both as being trained by Batman, so he's good at, like, sneaking around, but also being trained as an acrobat and a showman and choosing to wear bright yellow while he does those things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think Kong is probably right up his alley. In character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Corey? Yes? Let's take this party to the Bozone. Mm. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? I looked. Maybe I missed. There wasn't as
1: many insults as I would have preferred <laughs> in this book. I did like on page three where Cyborg, when he's tied up, refers to his captors or
0: maybe it's deathstroke as a slime ball Mm. that's pretty nice that's pretty good there were a couple that tara said towards beast boy i believe she called him scum breath very evocative but she also said what i think was my favorite in this and, and my favorite instance of a bozo there were no literal bozos in this issue just getting that out of the way which was kind of surprising, seeing as this is the uh, farewell of Terra. I would have thought she would get some bozos out of the way first, but no. But she does instead address Beast Boy as, You stupid moron! Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> it really is a good one. <laughs> oh, I should have had And, uh, it, like, even as I was starting to feel a little bit of sympathy towards Beast Boy... It did still kind of crack me mm-hmm. up, and I I think that Beast Boy should in fact be called a stupid moron most of the time. Maybe he could change that to his new codename, just stupid moron, stupid just moron. a big S and M on his chest. Mm. Oh, that might send big <laughs> signals. You had a show and tell instead of a timestamp. Yeah, I had a, I had a couple. Uh,
1: one is on the panel that you mentioned previously with the sound effect where both of Cyborg's
0: um, arms are being cut off, mm-hmm. and which he is saying, my arms! Fair. What he is actually saying is my arm, which means that he values one of them above the other. Because they are clearly both being cut off, and he's only noticing one of them. Dang. Yeah. Way to prioritize. Yeah, that's decisive. Or way to not count. Or maybe he just didn't think both were getting cut off, and
1: he said it like as one... Was getting cut, and it happened too fast. And then,
0: yeah, he just didn't have time to say, and also my other
1: arm! My arms! uh, There was another one on page 35, where Terra has had enough of Raven's name-calling and throws a rock at her, hits her in the face with a rock, to which uh, Wonder Girl says, she's hit Raven! (laughs) Which is...
0: Yeah. There are a few in the Terra fight, because if if we're going with the show-and-tells, there's also Beast Boy saying, what?! You you caved in the floor. Yeah, there, there was a lot. But if we're going with timestamps, then on the same page that Beast Boy notes, what, you caved in the floor, Deathstroke asks, what, who? Because uh, Cyborg picks up a section of the floor under him. And Cyborg's response is, it sure ain't Michael Jackson, pal. Oh, that's true. That's true. 84 was a pretty big year for Michael Jackson. hmm And... I mean, good point. Cyborg recognizes that he is not Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. It's weird that he would just have that, because it is kind of an out-of-nowhere reference. He isn't doing anything particularly Jacksonian, unless Michael Jackson was known for tearing up big sections of concrete, and I wasn't aware of that. Maybe that was some of the subtext of the Billie Jean video, where when he's dancing, the floor tiles are lighting up. Maybe before he did that, he had to first tear up the old floor tiles. And Maybe. then install some light-up ones. And that was a better-known fact back in 1984 than it is now. Mm-hmm. They were really more into process back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what that's referencing. So, uh, yeah, nice timestamp there, so <laughs> Pretty good. Sartorially speaking, what instances of fashion did you feel were most worthy of note in this issue?
1: Yeah, this one was a little sparser than, I guess, usual.
0: Well, we got the debuts of both Nightwing's and Jericho's new costumes in the last issue, and Mm -hmm. in this, it's mostly just superheroes and dudes in purple robes.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna have to go with, um,
0: Rudy's mustache. Rudy's mustache. It's It's a pretty sweet mustache. Man, Rudy's the best of Hive. That drunk idiot bastard. Yeah, he said they have a low bar. They really do. Still do like that Rudy. I decided to go with Deathstroke's initial costume, hmm. which is heavy on the fringe and seems, if possible, even less practical than his current orange and blue stealth suit. We see that when he is rescuing Wintergreen in his very first mission, he has some like reflective big gold chest plate necklace. Maybe it's not gold, maybe it's just bright yellow and orange, and he also has like A bunch of weird fringe around his legs. It's a very different and very distinctive, although similar look. And he's just wearing a black mask at that point. I don't know why he would bother doing that. He's not trying to necessarily protect his anonymity at that point. And given the rest of his costume, he's not hiding. So it's just kind of a weird costume. Mm. It's kind of cool looking, though. I like that it's got short sleeves. Seems like that would be better mobility for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Got big red, like, dish gloves. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you're in the jungle. You don't want to touch anything that's uh, too sticky. There might be promethium over there. That's true. You get that stuff stuck to your hands, it's not coming off. Never getting it off. Gotta use that some lava soap, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. That stuff's unpleasant to use. Does the job, though. It's very abrasive. Yes. So is Deathstroke. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the connection. All right. Ooh. Here's a toughie for you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Okay, hotshot. What's your favorite panel?
1: Oh, man. I had to... I I did have a backup, but I think my favorite panel, I have to go with page 25, and I called it Titans Together.
0: Yeah, that is a fun panel. It's a very iconic thing of the Titans have just been released, and it is Starfire and Cyborg and Wonder Girl and Beast Boy attacking en masse. It's pretty cool looking. It is also kind of funny... To me, in that scene, that, like, Starfire looks enraged and is saying, I want them. All of them. And Cyborg is looking enraged. And he says, believe me, Goldie, so do I. And Wonder Girl is saying, then let's get them. And Beast Boy is a hawk. And he's saying, Titans together. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of cracked me up. But, yeah, I agree. That's a very good panel. I know we say it in pretty much every issue, but it bears repeating, and it is one of the things that sets this series apart. The artwork is spectacular. I really like the scene where it's like the Hive Circus, where there's all of the thousands of Hive employees are gathered in their amphitheater to watch the Titans be executed, and the machine that they're all strapped to, pretty cool looking. I also really liked a panel that I called, call me Fight Wing, Cause it's Nightwing doing some fights, and he's just beating up a ton of hood guys, and he looks like he's doing some Jim Cotta, and his Dracula collar is flaring, and he's doing a great job, and it's just a really nice looking panel. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite is a moment that I call Terra doing the MJ shrug, and it's when she reveals herself mm-hmm. as the traitor, and she's just kind of shrugging her shoulders and say like, "Yep, I betrayed you." Yep. And I know we talked around it a bit, but if you're gonna make her just be like, no, I was super evil all along, that's the way to fucking do it. And really play that up. The Play up the, you stupid idiots, you were such suckers, rather than the like, and she's crazy and filled with hate, only she doesn't actually feel hate. And also, she's crazy. Play up the like, you dummies, it's me. Yeah, I loved the shrug. Yeah, just, well. yeah, it, it really reminded me of when... Michael Jordan was playing the Portland Trailblazers and he kept sinking threes and he just gave the like shrug like, even I can't believe I'm this good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because fuck that guy. Do not like Michael Jordan.
1: You've mentioned that before. I do not like him.
0: And I especially don't like him when he does that to my beautiful Portland Trailblazers. That said, he's an excellent basketball player. He's a very good basketball player and Tara is a very good Titans betrayer. And so they both get that like I'm evil, what can I do? Mm -hmm. shrug. Mm -hmm. Because they're both evil. History will be the judge. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? Which Titan did the worst job? Uh, it's conflicting
1: because I don't want to pick Terra, but in terms of like, okay, if you're going to establish that you're super evil and just being evil is your jam, uh-huh, then you should just kill everybody. Yeah. And not accidentally get so mad that you bury yourself under a pile of rocks.
0: Yeah, seems like a pretty bad move. So, in terms of efficacy, probably Terra. Okay. Due I don't to... think she's really a teen titan at this point anymore, though. Oh, you're gonna put that I'm... wrinkle in? I'm sorry. If you need to go with her, you can. Is she your speedy? Because I'll accept it. I'll allow it, but you'd better be going somewhere with this, Mr. Whitney. Well, I was gonna just pick Wolfman for not
1: really, like... <laughs> Finishing her arc the way that okay, I would Okay, he's preferred. definitely not a teen.
0: <laughs> if we couldn't have it be Adeline last issue because she wasn't a teen. Oh, that's true, that's true.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go, with, go, gonna with, go Tara. with Tara. Yeah.
0: I'm going to go with Cyborg. I feel like all of the Titans did an okay job in this issue. He didn't do as much in the fighting as he used to. And I'm going to just deduct a few points for his inability to correctly count how many arms he has. Oh, come on. <laughs> if Deathstroke, if you're like, his, ha- so his
1: hands are out, like he's getting ready right. to throttle Deathstroke. So put yourself in that position. Your hands are out. You're about to throttle uh-huh. somebody. And then comes this sword, whoosh, and chops them both off. What are you going to say? My hands. No, you're going to be like, ah. I'm going to say my arm. I don't think you're just going to make any intelligent
0: But he said statements. my arm. That's right. That's closer than <laughs> than just, ah. Well, I think, ah, I would be very descriptive.
1: Actually, no, you're pretty good at that. I remember that one time we were walking down the street and a gust of wind uh, brought up some sand and you grabbed your face and you said, the sand, it hurts my eyes.
0: It was a funny way to say it. But see, Cyborg wouldn't have said that. He would have been like, the sand, it's in one of my eyes. When it was in both of his eyes. Okay, Ah. okay, fine. But also the fact that I feel like his own words led to that situation because right before Deathstroke cut off his hands... He said, we're going to learn what gives first, your head or my mechanical fists. And that led to his mechanical fists getting chopped off. Yeah, good
1: move, uh, Deathstroke.
0: Yeah. You fucking creep. But like I said, I think for the most part, most of the Titans did a pretty good job. Honestly, Nightwing was in the running. He did some things okay, but he got captured pretty easily. But without him, the Titans aren't rescued. So, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Conversely, the Aqualot of the issue, the Titan who did the best job, who you got? I had a toss-up. As you said, none of this,
1: like, would have been set in motion to rescue the Titans if the second greatest detective in the world? I don't know. If Nightwing hadn't... The pretty good detective? The pretty, if the pretty good detective hadn't detected the missing the hidden ski lodge, sure, Titans
0: would have died in the machine. Well, I mean, didn't Jericho say that he knew where the ski lodge was and lead him there which leads me to my choice which is jerry (laughs) yeah i think jericho did
1: a great job yeah if he hadn't taken over rudy taken over his dad which is that's gonna be yeah awkward as hell yeah uh, done any of that
0: i would have been lights out man i never want to crawl inside my dad's brain don't what he does no he didn't want to do it but he but he did it he did it good job yep so that was my vote ah man i bet it's so fucking gross in there in your dad's brain? <laughs> In Deathstroke's brain. Oh. Oh, well, yeah. 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 A lot of resiliency
1: on that Jericho guy. Maybe, I don't know. He could come out of that experience on the other end,
0: not so healthy. That's true. Yeah, but I agree. He did a great job. He put on the parka over his fancy Halloween costume, even though he didn't want to, because mm-hmm. it was cold outside. Unlike Nightwing, who maybe that's part of why he got so captured, was uh, Had a chest insisting code. on having a bare chest. There is, I think it is a coloration. I think it's a printing issue with color bleed. But in my comic book, and I don't suspect it was the same in the reprint that you read, but when Nightwing is chained up, we see that there is some like, it it looks like he's forming frostbite on his chest. Mm -hmm. And I think like, yeah, that's why you wear a fucking undershirt if you go out out to the ski lodge, dude. Be like Jericho, wear a parka. Good call. In addition to wearing a parka, Jericho also... You know, he took out a lot of hive guys. He overcame Rudy's inebriation to be an effective puppet master of a drunk puppet. Mm-hmm. Very tricky, as I'm sure we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he not only took over his dad's mind, but he also shot his dad in the back with his dad's weird cyber staff. Yep. And then he felt bad about it and he cried mm-hmm. and he attended terrorist funeral and he did a really good job. I would also like to bring up, we were unsure last issue about whether or not Adeline, it seemed like they were setting her up to be a villain, and that did not pan out in this issue. It it seemed like she was just like, excellent, they're off to do my bidding. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that her bidding was actually on the up and up, and she really did just want to bring down Deathstroke, and she did, and good job. Agreed. We forgot to cover it earlier, but there was one kind of funny thing that the spicy poop rankers mentioned when they were about to commence their evil doing, which was, we're ready to start Operation Waterworks. Mm-hmm. Do you think they just want to make the Titans cry? They want to make everybody cry. They're evil. That's a pretty good name for an evil operation as Operation Waterworks. They say that we will get to that next issue. That's going to be in Tales of the Teen Titans number 45. We will learn what operation waterworks is here's a little teaser the cover of the next issue aqualad i am excited as am i the the long anticipated return of aqualad Mm -hmm. speaking of which cory wapoot what is aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, July. This is a particularly tricky one because we did just cover one thing that he was probably up to that month. hmm mm-hmm. But, publishing being what it is, we get double July 1984s for our teen hero. So, what poot? So,
1: <laughs> this is a tough one. Fan of music, fan of dancing, as we know. Young man likes to party sure a little bit you know in a respectable sort of like things don't get too out of hand if you can help it sort of way right so it's mid-july 1984 rod stewart is on tour <laughs> and uh you know very famous big at the time stadium show and all right. that. aqualad was excited to see the music but what he was really excited about was at that time the guitarist jeff beck famous for kind of uh, mixing jazz and and rock together very progressive like mm-hmm. really out there guitar player was on tour in a supporting role for uh for rod stewart's band and uh so he got his tickets and he he went out to see him and was just super super impressed by by what was going on so he had of course as always beaky was with him of course and between sets he was like hey beaky why don't you go bring to see the dude down there with the dark hair and the guitar go go bring that man a beer Ah, oh, that's nice yeah and so Beaky flies down and gives Jeff back a beer, and, and he's just like, what the fuck is happening? This bird and a beer and what? And
0: it flies I back. don't believe that's the first time that a pelican gave Jeff back a beer. It is. It's the first really? time.
1: He was amazed. And so after the show, in like uh, got good seats, he was right up in the front. Right. Beaky came back, and he was like, dude, those kids got this fucking beer bird. and What the hell? <laughs> and, and so he goes, and they meet oh and they get to talking they get to having a good time it turns out that Rod Stewart is kind of an asshole to work for yeah yeah and then it turns out that you know they just get to talking and um jeff beck is a tennis enthusiast also oh and so he just basically decides to ditch the tour and he and aqualad take off and they go watch some tennis matches and they hang out nice. with biki and they just have themselves a ball oh good for them yep But uh, Rod Stewart was after that fourth, I think, show and his tour left in Lurch because (laughs) he had no more progressive guitar player. Oh, dang. But that's one of the things that Aqualad was probably.
0: Is there a performer who was so cool in the 60s and 70s and so not cool in the 80s as there was Rod Stewart? Because I grew up thinking that Rod Stewart was so not cool. And when I like, first heard like the faces and small faces, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Rod Stewart? Mm-hmm. Rod Stewart was cool? It was mind-blowing. Mm. I can say. Yeah. Well, that was perhaps one thing that Aqualad was probably up to. Another thing that Aqualad was uh, probably up to was receiving a call from his good friend Starfire. No, not that Starfire. The Russian Starfire. What? Starfire was, uh, on behalf of his country, giving Aqualad a call and saying, like, Hey, uh, you know, we're about to launch some cosmonauts into space. I know you have some experience with being in space in the early Titans days. You know, despite the fact that you did not bring a canteen with you. So your entire space expedition had to be less than an hour long. But, uh, maybe you could help, uh, train some of our guys. They're about to go in Soyuz T-12 to Soyuz 7. In there. Rocket ship. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe you could help them, uh help them get prepared for that. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I am I'm happy to do that. Aqualad's a man of the world. He's an international hero, and Mm -hmm. in the interest of science, he he's willing to help anybody do anything. (laughs) Wow, what a guy. (laughs) He's a helpful (laughs) kid. So he, he goes over to the USSR. He and uh Starfire help help train some astronauts up, and while he's over there, he sees this dude trying to do a pole vault. And he's like, I picked up a few things about pole vaulting from my good friend, Mal Duncan, who trained me about real pole vaulting. Urban pole vaulting. Street pole vaulting. Mm. And so he helped train Sergei Bubka, who had been like, he had all the technical things about pole vaulting down, but he wasn't keeping it like real. Mm. He wasn't like, he didn't know that the real pole vaulting is in your heart. And it will help you pole vault over a wall to escape a rival gang member. Sure. Like Mal Duncan taught him. Right. Back in the day. So uh, with uh, Aqualad helping him go through a training montage in which he released the heart of the pole vaulter inside and stopped being about the clinical precision of pole vaulting, Sergei Bubka was able to pole vault 5.89 meters and break the pole vaulting record. Dang. The officially recorded pole vaulting record. I think Mal Duncan still has not beaten that time when he pole vaulted over a moat to break into a castle. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Wow. Yeah. Partying with Stu Ham. No, wait, nope, sorry, Jeff with Beck. Jeff Beck. <laughs> and leave Stu Ham out of the sub <laughs> I wish I could. Quite an eventful month for young Aqualad. Indeed. Indeed. And we'll get to see more of what he's up to. In a couple of weeks. Yay. But we'll be back next week with the final Steve Gerber issue of The Defenders. Uh. I know. We've had a momentous couple of weeks in this podcast. It seems like it. We've had the conclusion of the Judas contract. We've had two annuals in a row and an accompanying amount of Manhattans. Yep. We've had the end of the Steve Gerber run. Yeah, man. It's been a heck of a time. Things are happening. Yeah, we took a trip to a haunted disco barn. Oh, yep. And nobody came back quite the same. Well, especially not Biff. <laughs> he didn't come back at all. When he came back, he never came back. Oh, that, that, that sounds like a very Maynard Sure. thing. Yep. Well, we certainly <laughs> hope that you'll be unlike our friend Biff, and you will come back and join us next week for another episode of Tighten Up the Defense.
1: We just came here to party, man. <laughs> oh, there's
0: that biff. Ah. Anyway, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland@gmail.com. If you would like to party with us, then head up to an abandoned barn in Maine. Um, <laughs> 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 don't do that. No, don't do that, man. You'll almost certainly get eaten by a vampire. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Of course, in your hearts and minds, you can leave us a review on your pod catcher of choice. We would certainly appreciate that. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, we would definitely appreciate that. It would be a very, very nice gesture on your part. And uh, if you feel like the entertainment that you're receiving from us is worth money, then we'd like to have that money, please. So we'll go to booze and comic books. Uh-huh. And if you would like to do that, you can do that at patreon.com. If you are so good as to donate, then you will also gain exclusive access to exclusive content Mm. just for donors. You will receive access to a number of bonus episodes that Corey and I have recorded and also to the ongoing monthly podcast. What the Duck? A podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A podcast that Lisa and I record about Howard the Duck once a month. We've got, I think, four episodes up now, and there'll be another one coming up next month, and every month after that, forever, or until we run out of Howard the Duck stuff and have to do something else. But yeah, these these podcasts are getting rave reviews, and they are available only to our donors who visit us at Patreon.com/slash TTWasteland. Is that all of the things, Corey? Yep. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, it's good. Why not? Don't. No, go. no. This is Hub and Corey reminding you to not put an electric sweater depiller on your nutsack.
1: Or anywhere else where other than a sweater.
0: Yeah, really, those things are just for sweaters. Ooh, and if you're going to change into a cat, ask Wonder Girl if she's possessed first. Good policy. Safety first. Safety first. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And they knew it. And they knew it. I am going Let's go. What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's the. <laughs> what the Duck, a podcast most foul. <laughs> Did you ever go to the, uh, local pro wrestling things with, with I us? went to the one. Did the guy, after he did a move, just stop and go, WRESTLING! Oh, that sounds familiar. Cause that was fun. The Dick Champagne guy? Uh, no, that wasn't Dick Champagne. Dick Champagne was great. That's a funny name. It was a real, that, Dick Champagne is the best pro wrestling name I've ever fucking heard. And it did enable me to make the... Dick champagne for my real friends. Real dick pain for my sham friends. (laughs) Yes. Which I will be eternally grateful for that opportunity that was afforded to me. Thank you, Mr. Champagne. Thank you, Mr. Champagne, for all you do. Thank you, Hub, for making these giant Manhattan's.
1: (laughs) They're so big!